free to give grace away. You know, show and tell grace is something more than just telling about grace. It's when things get demonstrated in our life. Um, how many of you, like when you were a kid, did show and tell, right? They're still doing that thing in school, I think, you know? And um, how many of you know someone, like, can remember a story of, like, well, I guess I should ask it this way. What's the worst thing as a kid that can happen on show and tell morning, Right? you forget the show and all you have is the tell, right? Like everyone's worst nightmare, I show up to show and tell and I forgot the thing that I'm supposed to show. I remember as, for, in a, first, as a first grader having one of the guys show up in our class and he had forgotten his show. So all he had was tell. Now here's the problem with that. Without the show, there's nothing to contain your story as a first grader. It can grow as big and wide and large as you want. And so he began to tell his story from the show and tell, but there were no bounds to it. And clearly the thing was getting bigger. That every, I mean, even as first graders, we were not this gullible. And all of us guys were sitting there in the room going, dude, you're losing all your street credit, man. All your first grade street credit is out the window because this story just got way too big. But the same thing happens with us when we have grace to tell about, but we don't have actions to show. When people hear of that grace, they want it, but they need to see it. They need to experience it, and that only happens through our actions. Good intentions aren't enough. It requires actions. And so this morning, even as we look at this story in Scripture, we're going to find Christ in the way he demonstrated grace and how grace flows and how it is supernatural and amazing. And he invites us to that same kind of grace. In fact, if there was one verse in Scripture that could sum up the story that we're talking about in John 13, the story of Jesus and how he washes the feet of his disciples, if there's one verse that could sum it up, it would probably be in James this morning where it says, he gives more grace. He gives more grace. And that is why Scripture says he opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. This is kind of a key theme to this whole passage, the big idea around this whole passage in John 13, that God gives more grace. Where we might say, that's not possible. I don't, you know, you have enough, like your grace runs out. You know what I'm saying? Like the other day, uh, my sons and I were, we went for a drive, went over to the grocery store, we did some things, and they're 14, and they're just having a good time in the car, being crazy. And uh, when I got home, they were like, hey, dad, you want to play 21? I'm like, I've had enough of the noise. I can't. can't I can't take it anymore, right? Like it's run out. You guys go play basketball. I'm going to go upstairs and sit in the quiet for a little while, right? Do you ever have that kind of notion where we run out? We don't have limitless things, but God does. God's grace is limitless. It just, he gives more and he gives more and he gives more. And that's what he invites us to is that kind of experience. And when Jesus sets the stage for that, he does it by demonstrating it in a really powerful way and how grace just spills out over his life on the life of his disciples. Now, I want us to watch a little video about this. It's going to demonstrate the story of grace, and I want you to understand something about it before you watch it. So it's actually going to read the scripture, and you're going to see it acted out in front of you. There's a couple contextual things you need to know to understand what was happening here. First is that washing feet was a ceremony that happened every time you went to eat. Okay, When you sat down to eat, um, because the way you sat around the tables with your legs, your feet are really close. You know, you, you know what your feet smell like after they've been in sandals in the summer all day walking around, right? They're not 
things that you want to eat. Like you do not want your food to taste like your feet, right? Not going to happen. So that was part of it. There was a practicality to it, but there was also a ceremonial ceremonial ritual, kind of like you tell your kids to wash your hands before you eat. In the same way, there was a purity ritual around washing feet. Like you came into the room, you wanted to wash your feet as part of the Jewish faith to be pure before you ate, to, to, to remind yourself that God is holy and he calls us to be holy. So in the same way, this would happen. Now, in a household like this, um, usually when someone came in to have a, have a dinner like this, the lowest slave in the house would get this job. Like, it's not like, hey, who's going to do that today? No, it didn't work that way. It was the lowest slave in the house. The person, the servant of the lowest status. And in the Jewish faith, it wasn't just the lowest Jewish slave in the house. It was, they would just pick someone outside their faith. Like, if they would pick a Gentile slave, someone that was outside their faith, because they considered it so offensive that they couldn't even take part of it. And so when you watch this scene and Jesus takes his robe off, and he wraps a towel around his waist, which is a symbol of a slave. That's the way the slaves were to walk around the house. That's how you knew who the slaves were in the house. When he wraps that towel around his waist, you'll see the astonishment on the disciples' face. And that astonishment comes from this picture of them going, what in the world is happening here? This, this shouldn't happen. We, this is not supposed to be the way it goes down. And so let's just take a minute, and I want you to sit back, and just take in what's happening as they sit down to eat in John 13. Listen to the scripture as it's read. It was now the day before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He had always loved those in the world who were his own, and he loved them to the very end. Jesus and his disciples were at supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, the thought of betraying Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him complete power. He knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So he rose from the table, took off his outer garment, and tied a towel round his waist. Then he poured some water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter. Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. Never at any time will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, you will no longer be my disciple. Do not wash only 
My feet then. Wash my hands. And head too. <laughs> Those who have taken a bath are completely clean and do not need to wash themselves. Except for their feet. All of you are clean. All except one. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, all of you except one are clean. After Jesus had washed their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And it is right that you should do so because that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have just washed your feet. You then should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you. So that you will do just what I have done for you. I am telling you the truth. No slaves are greater than their master, and no messengers are greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know this truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. So in this passage, Jesus puts on this incredible display of how grace flows. That there is this, this, this enormous amount of grace that is pouring out of him. And through an incredible heart, a, a totally different kind of approach than his disciples expect or that we expect. So if you'll get out your outline now, you can follow along as we talk a little bit about how does grace flow? How do we keep that grace from being inhibited and allow it to just flow through us? Grace flows through my humility. This is a lesson that we learn that Christ is teaching in this passage through his actions, that grace flows through my humility. The Webster definition of humility is to have a modest opinion of one's rank or importance. And I think that's a pretty good start from Webster of having a modest opinion of one's rank or importance in life that tells us a little bit about humility. But there's something more to humility than that, something more important that Jesus teaches us about. We're going to give it a little bit more of a definition later on in the sermon. Today, I, just want, I want to start to look at this passage that, in which Jesus models it so we can understand how do I allow grace to flow. So let's take a look at John 13, 3 through 5. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God, and that he would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that he had around him. Jesus took action, and he put himself in the most humble position of the house, and he stooped the feet of every disciple, and he washed their feet. He washed Thomas's feet, who would one day doubt him, doubt that it could really be him, that he would actually rise from the dead. He he washed Peter's feet, who would eventually deny him in some of the most crucial moments when loyalty was everything, when, when it was about following Jesus. In that moment, Peter would deny him, say, I don't know who he is. And he would wash Judas's feet, which he already knew at that point would betray him. And the betrayal had already started. This is the kind of grace that we're talking about. The kind of grace that 
isn't like limited, isn't like just a little bit of grace. It is, a, it is truly amazing grace. And this is the grace that Jesus displays for us. And how does he do it? Like, when you walk in this room, it's important to note that the disciples walked in with him, right? And in the corner is this basin and water and towel because you always have them. The thing is that they had planned this dinner at the last moment, so there were no servants in the house. It was just them. Every one of them walks by the same thing. Every one of them knows that this foot washing needs to take place. But not one of them will do it. Not one of them stops and does it. In fact, my, my guess is they all sat around the table and were looking around like, who is going to do it? Where is the slave that's going to come? And so when Jesus does it, it is like blowing their mind totally. And why is it that none of the disciples can do it in the first place? I mean, what is it that if you could name an argument that the disciples had on a regular basis, what was it? Who's most important, right? Hey, Jesus, who's bestest? Who are you choosing to be by your side? I mean, so much so that they even called their mom and said, Mom, can you come talk to Jesus? Because he's not giving me an answer, right? And one of their moms got involved in this whole thing. Like, on a regular basis, they are scrutinizing for position and for who's important. And have you ever done that in your life? That place where you're just a little insecure, and so you're trying to set yourself up to look better, to be better, to prove yourself, because you're a little nervous about who you are, about where your identity is, about whether, if I'm not successful at work or at home or in this relationship, then it just shows what I doubt underneath. And Jesus is inviting them to something more when he demonstrates this. And the key to understanding this is found in this verse, verse in, chapter, in chapter 13 here in verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. Why is it that Jesus could do this when no one else could? In all of his humanity, Jesus could stoop to this level because he knew that he had come from God and that he would return to God. He knew that exactly who he was. He wasn't trying to prove anything anymore. He belonged to God. He was the beloved of God. He felt God's love. He knew God's love. And so he was free. Free to serve. Free to give grace to others. Grace could flow uninhibited in his life. It wasn't all stuck inside of him because he received someone. He said, oh, i got to keep this for myself, and I don't know what's going on, and I'm kind of insecure about what other people are going to think. No, so just let it flow. He was free, and that's what it means to really be free, is to allow grace to flow through us, and that comes through humility. While the disciples were unwilling to concede inferiority to each other, Jesus simply took on the role and showed humility. The power of grace, this is what it does. It firms up who we are. When we receive God's grace, it firms up that place that we are. We know that we belong to God. We know these things that come true when we surrender to Christ. The whole journey to surrender to Christ is really about saying, God, I can't do it. I need you to do it. And so now I know I'm forgiven. I have confidence in it. Scripture says that we can have confidence that we're forgiven, that we are loved, that we are accepted. In fact, it says it throughout Scripture. But we receive totally different messages in our culture all the time, don't you? Don't you get the message of not enough? All the time. You're not pretty enough. You don't have enough money. You're not successful enough. Um, you don't live in a nice enough house. Like, it's never enough. But if you, and somehow in our brains, we think if I just had enough, then I would be somebody. Then I would be important. Then I would be significant. 
And God says, no, you'll just always be my child. All you have to do is say yes to me, and you'll be my child. You will have all your identity in that, and you will already have enough. In fact, what Scripture says is by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, our welcoming of him into our life, we get to bathe ourselves in these truths. First, I am deeply loved. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says it. It says in Romans 5, 1, I am fully pleasing to God. It says in Colossians 1, 22 and 21 and 22, that I am totally acceptable and totally accepted by God. And in Colossians 2.10, it says, I am complete in Christ. I don't need anything else. This is God's message to you. But my bet is that you're a little bit like Peter, a little bit like me, that sometimes it's a struggle to really know your identity in Christ, to live it out, to be free, to live out humility and grace is restricted by this wondering about your identity about doubting your self-image, about propping or promoting yourself or protecting yourself. And God wants you to be free. And so I would challenge you to the same challenge that someone challenged me to, and that's to soak yourself for 30 days in some scriptures about identity. To, to soak in them, to read them every day. And you'll find ones, and if you ch- accept the challenge like I did, I'll find ones that I found, wow, that one's really hard for me. And I was challenged, when you find that one that's really hard, you go stand in front of the mirror and you read it over yourself. You look yourself in the eye when you read it. Because it's important that you understand it here, but it's vital if you're going to follow Christ and be free that you live it here. Because you can never know God's love if you don't know God's love. This is the greatest gift of grace of all. That we actually know it, that we live it, that we experience it, that it transforms us. So I challenge you the same. If you, if you want to do that challenge, want to accept that, then I'll, you write identity on your card today, I will send you a list of verses that you can begin to read over yourself for the next 30 days that you can allow it to transform you. And I warn you, like the first four or five days that you do it, it feels hokey, it feels a little weird, you feel like this is really going to make any difference. But as you continually do it over 30 days, you begin to see this difference in your life. You begin to feel and experience that God really does want to meet you in it, give you identity. So, we get a glimpse of the same kind of struggle that Peter has with Jesus. And it's captured in his conversation. Look at in verses 6 through 9. It says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Now here's the key. Jesus says back to him, Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. In other words, unless you allow my grace to flow into your life, unless you take, stop, stop going, I'll fix it myself, Jesus, I'll get all cleaned up myself, unless you recognize that you need me to wash my feet, that you're willing to expose yourself and all of your stench and nakedness and everything else to me, you can't receive my grace. You won't belong to me. You won't firm up your identity in me because it's only in that dichotomy between feeling the weight of, I don't deserve this, I'm so short of it, and knowing that God loves you anyway, it's there that we find our identity all firmed up. It's there that everything changes. Now, I used to have this dog. Her name was Honey. She was a yellow Labrador. And, man, I love that dog. She was an awesome dog. But she had this way of, like, she loved skunks for some reason. I don't know why she kept saying hi to skunks. You'd think after the first time it would be such a traumatic experience that she would stop. But multiple times she would go, find a skunk, and say hello. And unfortunately, at least once, I was out of town and my wife had to 
take care of honey. And that was, that was pleasant, getting that phone call. And, you know, what am I supposed to do with this dog? Like, in my wife, if you don't know it, like, her superpower is smelling. And so, like, what smells a little bit bad to me smells horrible to her. So, um, honey would get the stench on her of a skunk. Have you ever smelled it? You know what I mean? Like, it is like you walk into a wall of nasty. It is horrible. Here's the thing. When she came back to me, like, she knew she stank. She knew it. But she didn't, like, go run away. She didn't, like, stand outside the house. She was like, let me in. Help me now. And this is what God invites us to. This is what Jesus was inviting the disciples to. Let me wash you. Let me help you understand it. Stop being prideful like Peter and saying like, no, Lord, you can't do that. I don't want you to see all this stuff. I don't want you to touch my nasty parts. No, Jesus says, I have to if you want to belong to me. If you want to really know what it means to belong in my family, I have to. It's required. The best way that I've heard this expressed about how grace is so powerfully defeats our pride and our self-protection and our independence is by Thomas Akempis in The Imitation of Christ. And he writes it this way. He says, Why is it so remarkable if you who are dust and nothingness submit yourself to another person for God's sake when I, the Almighty and Most High, who created all things out of nothing, humbly subjected myself to others for you? I became the most humble and abject of all that you might conquer your pride through my humility. God's greatest gift to us comes through grace, that we might conquer our pride through his humility. He became the most abject. The God that created the universe came as an infant, lived among us, died on a cross, willingly subjected himself to the authorities of the earth, allowed them to crucify him that we might live, that we might conquer our pride and finally be set free from our doubts and our insecurities and all the things that hold grace back. Because those things are like the big dam that we've built in ourselves that keep the river of grace from flowing through our life. So humility is crucial. If we learn how to be humble, and humble in a way that allows grace to flow changes everything. Great illustration of this is one of our international workers um, is in town. She's actually going to be here around tonight, and uh, you can come out and hear a little bit more of her story. But we just have a little glimpse of her story and how, how she's found this humility and how important identity has been to that in some of the work that she does. Listen to her story. been serving overseas for several years and so for any of us who haven't had the chance to meet you yet why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are where you've been serving and what you've been doing these last few years okay i have missed you guys i've been serving overseas for almost four years not quite and have been in full-time language school learning a brand new language and that's going well slowly but coming along and riding my bike a lot and um, yeah, learning a lot about this new culture. Um, also have been um, working alongside some local Christ followers of the country where I serve in um, extending compassion to some women who are really um, pretty deeply hurting in the community there. Hmm. 
So we have really been thinking of you a lot over these last few years mm -hmm. and are so glad to have you home. I'm not <laughs> sure where your home really is now, but we're so glad to have you uh, here right now with us. And mm -hmm. you have kind of dropped right into a really neat series that we've been doing on grace. And I know that you've been learning a lot about grace too. And so mm -hmm. would you just share with us a little bit about what he has been teaching you about grace, what you've been learning? Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been learning much about grace, particularly over the course of this past year. So um most of what I've been learning is related to identity, and I think that I've known um, since, since I originally believed that I'm saved by grace, but somewhere along the line fell into um, sensing the need to strive to keep it, or um, maybe God could love me more if I do something, or could he love me less if I do something or don't, and um, so I think what I'm growing in is really learning to rest in this completely secure identity that I have <laughs> in Christ and knowing that he can't love me more and he won't love me less. Um, and when I rest in that, it really frees me up to serve and extend grace to others because I don't have anything to prove. <laughs> I'm just completely freed up. So. It's been really good growth and continual. <laughs> um, we'll continue, I hope. <laughs> okay, so I know that God's been teaching you a lot about grace, and that he's also been using your whole team. You serve with a whole team of people in your country, and that he's been teaching all of them a lot this, about this idea of grace. And you guys are seeing and witnessing that in the local Christ followers with whom you serve. Mm -hmm. So I was hoping you could maybe talk to us a little bit about some of those Christ followers and how you're seeing this idea of grace play out in their mm -hmm. lives. It has been really neat to see two of the women, um, two of the local Christ followers that I work the closest with, um, really growing in their understanding of grace as well and to be journeying alongside them in that. And um, in particular, I think the two of them are also learning a lot about um, how secure their identity is in Christ and how they can't earn his love or lose his love and just really experiencing freedom from resting in that and are more able to extend um, that grace to others, um, particularly to the women who have really been deeply wounded that they are wanting to love on. Um, yeah, so that has been really cool. One of the concepts that we've talked the most about recently has been the concept of it's difficult to extend to others what you haven't really experienced yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that they're finding that as they experience healing in their own lives and not just knowing more deeply that their identity is secure, um, that they are able to extend those invitations to others um, really sincerely. And so it's just been really neat and a privilege to be walking alongside them. Mm. Well, it's encouraging for us as your family here 
to see how God is working in your family mm -hmm. there and to know that we are one family and how blessed mm -hmm. we are by that. And so we are excited to hear more from you uh, mm -hmm. tonight as you come back uh, for your open house. We're hoping that a lot of our family here mm -hmm. is able to join us and hear some more about the details and stories and testimonies <laughs> of all that's happening uh, in your country. So thank you so much thank for being you. here with us today. We love you very much. I love you guys as well. <laughs> I love what she says about grace, that it is difficult to extend to someone else that what you have not experienced yourself. It's true of grace, and it's even true of the level of grace. Like, the level of grace that we allow ourselves to experience has a lot to do with the level of grace that we give to others, that we allow them to experience. And that word that she uses, striving, like we all get caught in striving as if Grace is something to be strived for. But Scripture says, no, it's not something to be strived for. It's something God gives. He gives more grace. No matter what you do, no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter how much you doubt yourself, He gives more grace. No matter how many times you have to deal with someone else that is just, man, they're rocking your world, they're rubbing up against you, and you're like, oh, He gives more grace. Grace is something that is from God, that is totally life-changing. And grace is not just for ourselves. Grace is for others. So let's talk about, we talked about how humility is this conduit through which grace flows. And that when we find true humility like Christ, grace can flow uninhibited through us. And it can become not just flowing through our humility, but then through our actions. Because now we have not just tell, we have show. So let's talk about how grace flows through our actions. You know, our actions with grace is what gives grace in the lives of others power. When you tell the story of grace with your life, even with your own humility or the way you treat people, it's good. But with actions behind it, people experience grace for themselves. They get a taste of grace and they want it more. You pave the way for them to discover God when you give grace out as a gift like Christ did. Through his humility, he gave grace. And what's crazy in this John 13 passage is just, Here's Jesus giving out grace in his humility, serving by washing feet. And I'm picturing him going around the table, right, washing the feet of these men. And he gets to Judas. And he knows that Judas has already decided to betray him. He gets to the feet of Jesus. What would you do? I mean, I'm picturing myself being like, wash your own feet. Like, just get out, right? Like, I... See, Jesus knows that he's found in God, and so he just gives more grace. He knows this, that grace is something that must flow through us. So even to Judas, like, what do you do with someone that's untrustworthy and, and betraying and in your face in your life? Well, if you're Jesus, you give more grace. You extend more grace, not from yourself, from God. Because you have received it, you give it. And this is the power of grace. And it can only flow through a truly humbled heart. You can't give that kind of grace out in your natural, regular heart. So we were talking about this this week, and, and as we talked about it, we said well, it's not really humanly possible, right? Like, like someone was, we were talking, it was like, you know what it's like for someone to live in the place where someone keeps doing the same thing in their life, and over and over and over, they just keep invading that person's space and hurting them, and then you say, hey, give grace. Like, what does that feel like to them? Like, you're right. 
You're right. It is not humanly possible. But isn't that the basis of Scripture? Not what's possible with man, but what's possible with God. What's possible with Jesus inside of us is totally supernatural. And so your heart is the place that grace comes from, and your heart has to be connected to the supernatural. You have to receive grace in a way that you've never received it before. You have to be able to receive grace almost in this this way that I long for. And I've not achieved it yet, but I long to have it. It's this Galatians 2.20 notion of, I, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For a long time I struggled, like, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? What in the world does that actually mean, that Christ might be formed in me and live in me? Because that's what I want. And I believe that it means this idea of all of my self-protection, my self-doubts, my self-pride, my independence, all of them get annihilated by God's grace. They get annihilated by God's love and his goodness in a way that like, it strips me of all of that so I can finally be free. Free to love and to give grace even to people who don't deserve it. Even to people that are offensive. And part of that is found when I find myself in need of grace. I'm more free to give it. You know, it was, um, it's one of these things that, like, humility is this thing that it's kind of like we, we get done. You know, when I go for a run, I get done, and there's times in the summer where it's so hot out, I get done, I'm sweating, my shirt is soaking wet, and I, I stand there for a second after my run, and I realize how I smell, and I can only not stand the smell of myself, Right? which only then tempts me to go hug my wife and be like, hey, come in here, right? She's like, you. But the great dichotomy of God that he invites us in in that moment and says, I smell your stench, come here. This week um, at small group, uh, we were reading through this passage of Ephesians and we've been practicing scripture meditation together. And so we read through this Ephesians 3, 14 through 22, which is this scripture this prayer that talks about i pray that you might know the love of christ you might know how deep and wide and how long and high it is that you might be rooted in it and it might be your foundation and it might become everything to you so that you might overflow immeasurably and in the middle of reading and after about the third or fourth time i had one of those like movie flashback moments you know the moment when like 17 things come to your head and your heart all at once and it was the holy spirit and i just in one moment he captured my whole week of disappointing moments with other people. Places where I had like just interacted with them without grace. Or even if I hadn't showed grace, my attitude was not graceful. All at once this came to me. And in that moment where I just was like, God, I am so short of your grace. Like, I am so sorry again. Like, I'm so tired of this attitude. I wish it was gone. And that same moment, here's Christ inviting me. Same moment that I'm saying, God, I'm so sorry I'm not worthy. He's saying, come here. Like my whole point, Sean, is not that you punish yourself or try to do it yourself. My point is that you come and that you might be rooted in my love because it's the only way that grace is going to flow out of your life. This is what God invites us to. Grace to give, to what, give away even when it's ugly and it's hard and it's difficult. You know, it's Augustine, St. Augustine who said, Hate this, love the sinner, hate sin, right? I think in our evangelical terms, in our culture, we've converted it to 
love the sinner, hate the sin. But I found for myself to be a true giver of grace so that I might always know that I'm receiving grace. I've learned to say it this way. Love the sinner. Hate my sin. Hate my own sin. Be so aware of my own sin that I go, God, I need your grace so badly. I want to receive it every day so much that it becomes so much more so easy to give it away to others who need it because I know how much I need it myself. This is Christ's greatest call to us that we might love others that way. Look at Christ's humble actions in John 13, 14, and 15. He says, And since I, your Lord, your Master, and your Teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash others' feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. Jesus never leaves us off the hook like, hey, that was a great message. Woohoo! He says, listen, I did this that your pride might be defeated, that you might take action and allow grace to flow through you. And you can do it in your everyday life, no matter how practical it is, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with people at school. There are always opportunities for you to show grace because they're in relationship. It's never easy, right? I don't know any relationships I have that they're always smooth. They always work out. There's never any tension. Even in the best of relationships, there's times where there's grace that is needed. And in the places in my life where I have worked with people that are like polar opposites of me, man, I need a lot of grace, right? Every day I was standing on that verse like, God, give me more grace because I ran out again. God asks us to put action to our belief, to what we say we desire. It's this great story in a book called A Community Called Atonement. And uh, it is an incredible demonstration of grace. And I want you to read, I want you to hear it, and I want you to think about and process as you're hearing it, like the places that might even be surprising to you in your own circles of influence where grace might abound and might flow through your actions and might surprise you. So this is written by an ER nurse. It's a true story. It's written by an ER nurse who came into and got surprised by grace. It says this, Give us hearts as servants. That was the song they were singing as I left the church service, heading off for my t- second 12-hour shift in a row. Weekends at the ER can be absolutely brutal. I was physically and emotionally spent when I walked up to the entrance of the hospital. The sound of ambulances and the approaching medical helicopter were telltale signs that I would be literally hitting the ground running. Dawn! Can you lock up room 15, yelled the charge nurse as I crawled up into the nurse's station. When someone asked for a lockdown, it was usually because of something psychiatric or a combative case. The two security guards stood outside the room, biceps flexing like bouncers, anticipating a drunken brawl. My eyes just rolled as I walked past them into the room to set up. The mass medics arrived with a man, strapped and restrained to their cart. The hallway cleared with heads turned away in disgust at the smell surrounding them. And they entered the room, and I could see this man, with his feet hung over the edge of the cart, covered with plastic bags, tightly taped to his ankles. The ER doctor doctor quickly examined this man while I settled in with him. And he just spoke and rattled off in harmony with the medics about their findings about him. The smell was overpowering as they uncovered his swollen, mold-encrusted feet. 
And after tucking him in and taking his vital signs, I left the room to tend to my other patients in waiting. Returning to the nurses' stations, I overheard the other nurses and the techs arguing over who would take him as their patient. In addition to the usual lab and work and tests, the doctor had ordered a shower complete with the bentadine foot scrub and an antibiotic ointment and non-adherent wraps. The charge nurse looked in my direction. Don, will you please take him? Please. You don't have to do the foot scrub. Just give him a sponge and let him go into the shower and do it himself. I agreed, and I made my way to gather the supplies and I waited for the security guards to open the hazmat shower. And as I waited with that man, the numbness of my busyness was interrupted by an overwhelming sadness. I watched him, restless and mumbling incoherently to himself through the scruff of his beard and stash. His eyes were hidden behind his ratted, curly, shoulder-length mane. This poor shell of a man had no one to love him. I wondered about his past and what had happened to bring him into this hopelessly empty place. No one in the ER that day looked at him. No one wanted to touch him. They wanted to ignore him. They wanted to ignore his broken life. But as much as I tried, I could not. And I found myself drawn to him. The smirking security guards helped me walk him to the shower. And as they, he entered the shower, I set out shampoo and soaps and towels like it was a five-star hotel. I felt my heart in my heart that at least for ten minutes, this forgotten man would be treated like a king. I thought for those ten minutes, at least for those ten minutes, he would see the love of Jesus. I set down the foot sponge and decided that I would do the bentadine foot scrub myself as soon as the shower is finished. So I called the stockroom for two large basins and a chair. When he finished his shower, I pulled back the curtain and walked him to his throne, filled with warm blankets. And with two basins on the floor, I knelt at his feet. My heart broke even as my stomach turned, as I gently picked up his swollen and rotted feet. Most of his nails were black and curled over the top of his toes. The skin was rough and broken and oozing pus and tears streamed down my face while my glove hands tenderly sponged the brown soap over his wounded feet. The room was quiet as the once mocking security guard started to help by handing me towels. And as I put it, patted his last foot dry, I looked up for the first time into his eyes, and he looked into mine. For that moment, he was alert, aware, and weeping as he quietly said, Thank you. At that moment, I was seeing Jesus. He was there all along, right where he said he would be. God's grace shows up when in our humility we simply serve. In our practical, everyday expression, we serve. We accept the challenge to put our grace into action because he always gives more grace. I want to challenge you today to respond to God's call, to Christ's call, to do likewise. Do as you've seen me do. If you'll pull out your response card right now, it's a great place for you to write down a prayer, to maybe write identity on here, because you know that in your own life, there are those places that you would like to do that, but you are just too insecure, too nervous about what's going to happen, and you need to bathe in your identity in Christ and receive His grace so that it can flow from you. Maybe today in your response card, there's someone that's come to mind that you say, 
For that person, I need more grace. I've run out. I don't have anything more for them, and I need more grace. And you need to put their name down today, even just their first name, and say, pray for me. Pray for this person, the situation. God, give me grace. Can you imagine what it would be like in your job if you were to give grace to that person that is just outright, man, they just make life miserable for everybody, and you were to give them grace. You were to pave a way for them to respond. Could you imagine what it would be like in your home, with your spouse, with your kids, to give grace? Even when you've run out, you give more because God always gives more grace to humbly serve. Imagine what it would be like in your family, maybe in your extended family where someone needs grace. I want to encourage you to consider what is God asking of you this week? Who does he ask you to give grace to even though it's totally in your face? And maybe you just need to receive some grace so that you can give it. You need to go back to God and say, God, make me aware how much I need your grace so that I can freely give it to others. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond during the next song and write out a prayer, make a stake in the ground, make a commitment to Jesus this week to allow his grace to flow through you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Boy, do we need your grace. We don't deserve it. In so many ways, we offend you. We do things our own way. We are independent. We are selfish. We are insecure. We need you. It's not to clean up ourselves, but to come to you as Peter and just say, wash me. Wash all of me if you need to, but Jesus, pour your grace out on me so that I might be a conduit of grace for others. God, make us a humble heart, a humble servant. Help us to follow in your footsteps and give grace to others. Flow through us when we don't have grace. It's the very moment that the supernatural can happen. So God, we ask for the supernatural. May your Holy Spirit flow through us and give grace that we don't have, that we don't know how to give. Make us people who take action so that we might follow you well. Thank you for your mercy and your love. In Jesus' name.